I wanted to tell you about a little story. It was about this mother who on a Sunday morning was, went, went, went into her son's room to wake him up. And you know, he kinda, she kind of like shook him nice and lightly and said, you know, it's time to wake up for church. We've got to go. And he rolled over, grumbled a little bit, pulled the cover over his head. And she started getting a little annoyed. So she started shaking him harder. You've got to get up for church. Let's go. Let's go. Finally, he turns over, takes the cover off and says, I don't want to go to church. I'm going to give you two good reasons why. One, they don't like me. And two, I don't like them. So she starts getting a little annoyed with him, pulls the covers way off, opens up the windows and starts yelling and wagging her finger and says, you are going to church and I'm going to give you two good reasons why. One, you're 54 years old. And two, you're the pastor. Good morning. I just wanted to give you a little bit of a joke, kind of break some of the awkward tension of having me preach to you today. Uh, but I want you to go ahead and let's jump right in it. We don't have a lot of time today, but I'm going to take the time that God wants us to have. Amen? Amen. All right. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 14, go, go all the way to verse 21. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, share with your neighbor. I think there's some pew Bibles laying around here somewhere. But either way, open up God's word for yourself because I'm going to promise you you something. I make mistakes. Amen? Uh, wait a second. No, I'm joking. I, I do make mistakes, and I want you to read God's Word, because God doesn't make any mistakes. Amen? Amen? So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. I gave you enough time to turn there. Are you there? Say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Let's read. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all the, with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to be able to preach your word, to be your vessel. Father, I want this nothing to be of me, of any of these uh, folks that are here, but only of you. So fill us with the Holy Spirit and rid our minds of everything that's happening in our lives. Good good, bad, and different. So the only thing we focus on is you. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Use it for our discernment, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start with a question for you guys. Uh, have you ever wanted to be part of a mega church? Now, before you answer that question, let me describe to you a little bit what I mean by that, okay? When, when long before that term megachurch was ever conceived in our minds today, it was happening way back in our ages, okay? There was a man named Charles Spurgeon. Any of you know him? Raise your hand. A wonderful preacher. And he started this church. He was called to be a the pastor of a church at 20, 20 years old in London, in the heart of London. And that church was called the New Park Street Church right there in the middle of London. And those of you, I know you, some of you from England probably heard of this church, maybe even visited it. 
But he started preaching God's word and he let the Holy Spirit just move him so much that this church started to grow to the point where they couldn't fit everybody in the building anymore. So they decided to build a new building, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which seats 6,000 folks. 6,000 in the 1800s. Imagine this. This is what Charles Spurgeon was used as a vessel for, to be able to bring God's message to this church and made it this mega church of the day. And they filled it not just once, but twice every Sunday. And here's the great part, and thank you, Don, for sharing some numbers. But this is why we do it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people through the years came to know the saving grace that comes through our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I mentioned this. I, want, I told you this story because I don't want my dream to be about having many, many people in this church. Let me finish what I'm saying here. It's not my dream to have thousands of people in this church because I'd rather have a strong church. A church that is spiritually well and willing to be able to fight for what God wants, no matter how many people sit in those pews. That's my dream, to be a part of a church that feels that same way. You know, Charles Spurgeon gives us an idea, and he's referred to by many as being the prince of preachers. Praise the Lord that he gave us, gave us so many sermons to review, to seek, because I know it was God-given to him. And we have that opportunity to review it just the same. But he would have been the first to tell you that the, the source of a church's strength has nothing to do with the programs and ideas that we come up with in our churches. It has nothing to do with the sermons that are preached because left to themselves, they're mere words. Where the source of the church's strength comes is from something so much greater. So much more wonderful. So, so much more powerful than we can ever be or conceive. Story goes that these five young preachers or wannabe preachers that are in their seminary life and they're, they're looking up to Charles Spurgeon so they ended up going to, to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear him speak. Trying to get an idea of what a real preacher sounds like, should act like, look like. Well, they were waiting in the hallway this one Sunday morning and Charles Spurgeon met them. And he asked them, do you want to see the real power of this church is? Of course, they're excited. So they said yes. And so Charles Spurgeon walks him down this long hallway down the staircase, and at the end of the staircase, they, he cautiously opens the door at the bottom. And then what these five young men saw absolutely astonished them. As they peeped through that doorway, and they looked into the sanctuary, they saw over 700 people praying for the upcoming service. Charles Spurgeon looks at them and says, that is the powerhouse of this church. Amen. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about what makes a great church. And I want you to be able to see all the things that must happen to make this church great. And what, what my, my vision would be here at Central Baptist Church. 
First requirement is I believe that a church must be prayed for. Rick Warren says one time, a prayerless ministry is a powerless ministry. And if Central Baptist Church is going to be a church that's used by God to do great things, then it must be a church that is prayed for. And not just every once in a while, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays. It needs to be prayed for often. We need to do it diligently and zealously. We need to be able to be here on our knees and go home, get on our knees, on our car as we're going to work and pray for our church. Because great things will happen when people pray. When people pray especially for the things that happen here at the church and not just what we want to happen, but we seek what God wants to happen. So to get an example... We need to look at the prayer that we just read in Ephesians chapter 3 and see how Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus. And I pray that you see he earnestly prayed for this church. And my prayer is that we will see what we need to be doing to pray for this church, Central Baptist Church. So what is it he prayed for? Well, the first thing I think he does is he prays for the strength of the church. Look again at verse uh, 14 through 16. 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with with, with might through his spirit and the inner man. Now notice first off that Paul's prayer was for the inner being. Did you see that there? It was for the inner being. But what's this inner being that he's talking about? What's this inner man? Well, everyone here in this room is is a compound being. Let's get a little scientific for a second. We're made of body, mind, and a soul. Now some of your scientists might not say the soul, will they? But I'm going to tell you that it's there. The body is our physical nature. That's our outer appearance. The mind, it's what we think with. That's where we get our personality. And then we have our our soul. And that's where our intelligence comes from, through the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's the part of us that is made in the image of God. It's what makes men and women unique from every other creation. Some of you may disagree, but you don't really see a plant go into deep depression, do you? Asking for a psychiatrist. That's because all they have is a body. They have neither mind nor spirit. Animals have a body and a mind, but yet they don't have a spirit. They have emotions. They have personalities. Believe me, I've had dogs for years, and mine definitely has a personality. (laughs) But they have no concern over spiritual issues. And I think back when, when we had a farm up in Kentucky and we had chickens, and I never saw one of them worry about me bringing home KFC. <laughs> See, mankind instinctively knows that there's more to life than just this. We know that there's more than just living every day and going to work until we can retire. We know that there's much more than just finding a spouse and having children and grandchildren and so forth. We know that there's more than life in this because we have an inner being. We have the spirit that is indwelled in us, that's living within us, that's that's right here with us, that longs for a relationship for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's that spirit who, who truly defines us 
and who we are. My spirit is who I am. And that's the spirit that is going to endure forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. You see that? Do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is what? Being renewed day by day. Man. See, this shell of a body is falling apart. Can I get an amen to that? Lord knows I can't dance after that wedding I had. But my spirit, it's being renewed daily. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And this is where I get to step on some toes, including mine. If this is the case, if the outer being is temporal and the inner being is eternal, then why is it we focus so much on our outer being? Let me put it this way. Maybe you disagree with me. Let me put it into perspective. I don't want to see a show of hands. How many of you spend more time on your outer appearance today getting ready for church than you did your inner being? I'll tell you what, with my hand, I was one. See, we have this tendency as flesh of focusing on our outer shell because that's what this world tells us we need to be focused on. We need to focus on our appearance, on our things. But it doesn't, the world doesn't tell us that we need to focus on our spirit. We kind of see that in our prayer lives today, in, our, in general, in our day and age. You have a tendency of seeing that by hearing the prayers that happen. I'm guilty of this, but how many times do we pray constantly for a kidney or a heart or an illness? But how often are we praying for their inner being during that same time period? For their spiritual state? Because when we, all, when we get sick, we all have questions, don't we? God, I need you. So why aren't we praying for their spirit as well? Isn't the well-being of a person's soul much more important than the well-being of their outer appearance? It's the inner being that should be our primary focus. Now, I want you to understand, and I want to clarify this. It is not wrong to be concerned. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you don't have to only pray for the inner being. You can pray for the physical being. As a matter of fact, God tells us to. It's okay. But what we really need to realize is that there's something a little bit more important that we need to be praying for as well. As well. And that's a spirit that's within each and every one of us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, Do not let your adornment be merely what? Outward. Arranging the hair or lack of it. Wearing gold. Or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very what? Precious. Precious. 
in the sight of God. So Paul prayed for the inner being, that the spirit would be strengthened. And it's necessary because the only way we'll ever truly be all that God wants to be is if we start, if we become willing with our spirit to listen to what he has to say, to get our hearts right with God and not just right with God, but to be seeking his will. Amen? But there's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Do you remember watching The Incredible Hulk? I've watched the, you know, probably many of you, the younger, the old version uh, with Lou Frigman. And there's a new version that came out, whatever it was, 2011, 12, whatever year it was. And it was a little different, but it still had the, the same premise. Dr. Bruce Banner would change into the Hulk anytime his heart rate would rise above 200. He had this struggle that was happening within him, didn't he? That's that same struggle that you and I are having with this fallen nature that we have inherited. Paul knew of this struggle, especially when he preached to us in Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25. And it says, I find then a law that, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But... I see another law in my members warring against, against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that with the mind I, my, I, my, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Can you relate to that? I can. I can. I start the day out right. I read my Bible. I pray. I do my devotion. And not too long through the day, I have to deal with drivers who don't want anything to do with me except get making money. And they start yelling at me, and it's hard for me to keep the peace. <laughs> Whatever yours is, it probably could fill in that blank too. Amen. It's hard. It's hard. Even Paul, it was hard. We know what we want to do, but then the temptations become so strong and the temptation is there. But here's the great part that God has promised to always provide a way out for you. Praise the Lord. He gives us an escape route. He gives us a fire escape. You don't have those in Florida. <laughs> Up north we had them. It was all those stairs that was outside the windows. You've probably seen them in pictures. I don't know who thought about it. Jump out the window to be safe. But anyway, see, the, the point is we need to be able to resist our sinful nature. And the strength is provided not by your own power. It's provided by allowing the Holy Spirit to have greater control of our lives. Now, what happens as a result of this strength? Well, Jesus Christ comes into our hearts. Praise God. John 14, 23 says, if anyone loves me, what? He will keep my word. He will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will, what? Come to him and make our home with him. Man, 
You know, sometimes I read different versions. By the way, I always preach out a New King James Version, but sometimes I always use different versions. And I like how the Message Bible puts this one. It says, because a loveless world, says Jesus, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my Father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. See, this is what's meant in Ephesians 3.17 when Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That verb dwell literally means to be able to settle down and feel at home. We first must know that when Paul's talking to this church, to the church of Ephesus here in Ephesians chapter 3, that they were already Christians because he addresses them as saints in Ephesians 1.1. So we know who he's talking to. In other words, he's also talking to you and me if you've already accepted Christ as your Savior. What Paul is praying for is a deeper experience between Christ and his people. He yearns for Jesus to settle down and feel at home in their hearts, but not some surface relationship. He wants this ever deepening fellowship with you. He wants to be coming in. He wants to be able to come into your hearts, but he also wants to feel comfortable there. Every so often, my family and I like to go out to eat. And many years ago, uh, before we even moved to Kentucky, and I remember this day so clearly, uh, we went to eat at a local pizza shop that's a couple blocks down the road. And when we were sitting down, it was right around Halloween time. You may remember this story or not. It was right around Halloween time, so the store was decorated with all its Halloween garb. And that was okay, but the TV was playing this horror movie that was pretty graphic. So we sat down, I saw this, and I asked them, would you mind changing the channel or turning the TV off? I did it as politely as I could. And they started, you know, under their breath, getting a little bit upset. And I said politely again, please, if you don't care, just turn the TV off. It's not appropriate for my young children to see. And if you can't, I'm sorry, I have to leave and take my business elsewhere. See, what was going on in their shop, their house, made me feel uncomfortable. See, what do we have in our house? What's going on in our house that might make Jesus feel uncomfortable? That's a hard thing to look for, huh? Maybe it's our language. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's your checkbook. Maybe it's your attitude. I pray together we can say this morning, Jesus, make yourself at home in my heart today. So the church must be prayed for. The next thing that Paul prays for for this church, I'm going to try to hurry up here, is that the, the, that the church would grab the extent of God's love for them. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in the second part of verse 17, says that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now notice that first the church is supposed to be rooted and grounded in love. Amen? Amen. Wow, five or six of you believe that. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you, love should be the one thing that church does best. But sometimes it seems that the church can be the most hateful place on earth. 
You're sitting in my seat. I don't care if you're a visitor. <laughs> oh, they don't fit into our lifestyle here. I'm not going to sit and talk to them. You know we've heard it. Hopefully we haven't lived it. Even in our preaching, sometimes we portray this hateful God who's against everything and everybody. You know, there's a story about the sober zealous preacher. He sat on the local bus and he was condemning the sinners of that city. Well, one time this one uh, drunk came onto the bus and he was staggering as he was walking on the bus. And here goes that preacher right away, blast, blasting him and wagging his Bible at him and thumping that, that Bible over his head and saying, you lousy drunk, don't you know that you're going straight to hell? Well, the drunk looks at his tick and says, did I get on the wrong bus again? <laughs> the point is this. We need to be rooted in love. We can do that a little bit differently, can't we? We can still point out the sin in our brothers' and sisters' lives without being hateful, can't we? We are supposed to be pointing those out. Do you believe that, by the way? But to help that person achieve betterment. Not to kick them out of our church. We need to do it in love. We don't need to accept everything. But church should be the one place where it's overflowing of God's love. The love of God that was so lavishly poured on you and me. And that love is so much greater than anything we can comprehend. Paul prayed that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is saying that the love of Christ is wide enough to be the saving grace of both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's as long as eternity and eternity as far as what the East and the West. It's so high that it was raised up with Jesus Christ. And it's so deep that it doesn't matter how unspeakable the sin you may have committed is. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. What kind of love is it that God has for you? Well, he has a far-reaching love. For God so loved the world. Are you in the world? Then he loves you doesn't matter who you are or what you've done because God's love is an unconditional love and it's not earned by doing good it's not changed by being bad God loves you nonetheless that's why he's given us a savior amen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son amen he gave us a savior and I'm going to tell you no matter how hard this world wants to try to prevent that there's nothing they can do Praise God. Amen. Amen. We have Jesus and he cannot be taken away. Cannot. God loves you. Not for what you've done. But he loves you for who you are. Sabrina, when she was, I don't remember, three or four, did something that broke a rule in our house. So we punished her, you know, being the good parents that we're supposed to be. 
And it was that night, and I was putting her to bed, singing her song like I would. And she said, Daddy, are you still mad at me? I told her no, but I was disappointed in her for what she did. And then she said, Daddy, do you still love me? I looked at her, and I held her tightly and held her close to me and told her in her ear, yes. Yes, there's nothing you can ever do that would take the love away that I have for you. Nothing. Whether I'm mad at you for a situation or not, nothing can be taken away. See, that's what God's love is for you and me. Nothing can take his love away from you. God loves you with a far-reaching love and also with a self-sacrificing love. Ephesians 20 says, Now him, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Look at that. Do you believe that? Now to him, who's him? Jesus. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Do you believe that? my Lord, if you don't believe it, come up here. Let's talk. Because he can do all things. All things. You know, we can do, and you and I can do all things through the power that works in us. Gosh, wake up, people. That's something to jump up and start dancing about. Because we have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we can praise God for that. Verse 21 says, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of praise. Say that with me. God is worthy of praise. One more time with conviction, please. God is worthy of praise. Please remember that. When you start getting into those times that you start feeling down and you feel depressed or you feel like every, the world's against you and these walls are caving in or no matter what you're feeling at the time, happy, mad, and sad, indifferent, Know that God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of praise. And he's the only one who's worthy of praise. You may have had a great company to work for that gave you a retirement, but it was because God you got that job. You might have the health to be able to come in here. Maybe as frail as your health may be, you got here today. It wasn't because of a doctor or your own work. It was because of God. You might have a wonderful family. And maybe not. But either way, it's because God gave it to you. So we need to praise Him in everything. We should be giving thanks to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And because of this, Here's your charge. The church needs to be an eternal witness to his grace. We need to stop sitting down and start moving forward. We need to stop listening and start speaking. And I will tell you, and you may not, you might vote no after this, but I don't care because it's what God's leading me to say. We need to stop saying that we can do, we can spread the message through our actions. Yes, we can. But that's not all we're supposed to be doing. God says, be a witness unto me. Be a witness. We need to speak. 
That's not just for a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. That's for you and for me. So let's start speaking today. Because Paul says to all generations, all generations, eternal praise. So to end, my vision, my dream, whether you vote me here as pastor of your church or not, my dream is to see this church get closer to God. I want to be able to see you get so close to God, and I want you to be able to do it through prayer. I want you to be able to do it through the love for others and for Him. And I want you to be able to do it through praise for Him. Because I will tell you, then and only then will this be a powerful church. So with an outstanding amen, if you want this church to be powerful, let me hear you say it. Amen. Praise the Lord.